0: welcome to the SF weekly podcast I'm Nick Veronin your editor in exile and I'm happy to welcome Kevin coup de la Hume back to the program he took a break from listening to my self-righteous rants uh, over the holidays but I got him back now so uh, I'm happy about that how are you doing Kevin
1: yeah man happy New Year
0: yeah we coup de,
1: la? We coup 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 de la, la. Larry? I don't know about that man
0: <laughs> do you watch uh, um curb your enthusiasm?
1: I have, but I guess I'm I'm missing the reference because it's been a while yeah, since I've
0: watched okay. it. That's when um uh, <laughs> I think it's when Larry befriends the rapper um um Crazy Eyes Killer. And <laughs> the yeah. They they talk about being coup de la. Um, oh yeah obviously okay. a, pl- a play on coup d'etat. Yeah. Um. And, well, we could probably talk for about an hour or more about that today, uh, couldn't we? Um, yeah. The dumbest coup ever.
1: Yeah. Still doesn't coup make attempt. it any less fucked up.
0: No, it doesn't make it any less terrifying. I mean, do, wh- what were you doing? Where were you? This is one of these things that I think we're all going to remember yeah. where we were when it happened.
1: Yeah. Um. I was at home getting ready to go into the office and... um just saw you know one of my news alerts you know because i get them from i get national news alerts like i'm sure most of us do from something and um yeah just was like wait what and i basically like lived on twitter from the rest of the for the rest of the day practically you know just um while i was heading in on bart and when i got into the office and trying to figure out what exactly was going on and, and all that stuff. So yeah, like, um, if it wasn't for a lot of the reporters and photojournalists inside, uh, you know, I don't think many of us would have understood what was going on. And it was, it was just baffling. It still is. I cannot believe what happened.
0: Yeah, I don't know exactly why, but push notifications are are must be why like I, I decided to to tune in to the, like the, the, the count, the, the, um, electoral college count. Um, I think I had been seeing push notifications, like, you know, people are, um, people are gathering outside the Capitol. Uh, maybe some of those push notifications said things like it's getting a little crazy out here, but I tuned in probably 10 minutes or so before they got inside. So I was watching this Republican senator. I can't recall his name, um, but he was the one who was interrupted. And I saw that interruption happen. Hmm. And then there were a couple of cameras in there and they were toggling back and forth like between just on him and then like the gavel came down and he stopped. And then somebody not on on camera but like who could be heard said something like the protesters are inside and then it zoomed out to like a wide view and like people were rushing around clearly anxiously um and they grabbed pence they were like we got to get out of here mm-hmm. <laughs> i was yeah. like what am i seeing right now yeah uh and yeah and then it, i was glued to stuff for about an hour and it was it was really stressful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was doom scrolling for hours just because of how, you know, I I wanted to see what was happening minute by minute just because it, I was worried that, you know, I mean, I don't want to say discredit that only five people died, but I was worried that it was going to be a lot worse, you know, like, I, I I don't know how many people that got inside had weapons, but I, I feel like I clearly saw a few of these rioters uh, had, you know, weapons and, and like guns, you know, and we're trying to, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they were going to use them. I don't think they did, but it doesn't take any, uh, you know, less off of what they did with, with sticks, with their flagpoles, with anything they had with their fists, you know, and any of the, the destruction that they caused, it, it doesn't take away from it. it it's, it's just mind blowing that it was just because this cult leader, who we still have to call our president, uh, you know, incited these people just because uh he can't accept that he lost and can't accept that his vice president is actually a person who follows what he's supposed to do. It's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I had a few moments of the of real some of the some of the most anxious moments I had were seeing reporters um there was one inside an NPR reporter who was facetiming um with the the news hour and there would be moments where these people would come up behind her like you would see them behind her and same with the reporter outside there would be moments where Groups of people would kind of like gather behind her. They were both women. Um, And I was like, am I going to see something really bad happen right now? Like, are they going to attack this woman right now on television? Um, And I guess just as a journalist, that was, you know, from my perspective, as an enemy of the people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I've read accounts, uh, since then that, you know, many of the demonstrators, uh, uh, you know, we can call them rioters. I think in, in this instance, we're like attacking journalists. And in one instance, a guy tried to bum rush a guy. I forget if he was from ABC or CBS or something. I was reading about that on the Hollywood reporter this morning. So, and then just the fact that that this happened and, and then there's so many questions like there's that video, there's that TikTok video of the police kind of like the Capitol police kind of just opening the barricade. And yeah. I, I want to know what happened there. I mean, is like, were they just scared and they figured maybe we should just let these people through so they don't like topple over us or like, was, were they sympathetic? Yeah. Another question that was raised was like, you know, all these all these like QAnon people are like oh it was antifa who who incited this right but you know what like you know who else might have been i don't think that's the case first of all no. second no. of all um you know who might have been in in that group um bad actors from other states and people were actually getting into senators offices like yeah was malware installed on a computer like
1: yeah absolutely. there's there's it graffiti everywhere the-
0: like it is a she was a shit show
1: yeah, dude, it's a huge fear. Like all these people, you, we have no idea who they are. They're still trying to track down all the different people that were in there. Uh, you know, they 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 ransacked offices, they they stole mail. <laughs> you know, they did all sorts of things and we have no idea and they could have done any number of things to interrupt and disrupt our government. And, you know, it's just it's crazy that they think that they're on the right side of history. And there's nobody that is trying to actively correct this record. And it's not going to just like all of a sudden a flip is going to switch and these people are going to think that, oh, we were wrong. Like they honestly will keep believing that they're on the right side of history in this. And, you know, this is going to be something that we are going to have to continue to deal with over the next four, if not longer years. It's scary, man.
0: Yeah. Another thing that's frustrated me is like a lot of this, what aboutism." um, what about Portland? And, um, I think a lot of really bad things happen in Portland and I'm not going to like defend, uh, burning buildings or, um, storming, storming police stations. Although, I mean, I understand why, why people might do it. I understand why the people did what they did in, in, in DC. I just think it wasn't the right thing to do. Um, but I think the key difference between this and Portland is, uh, this was incited directly by the outgoing refusing to concede president of the United States. You yeah. know, the, the people in Portland, they they gathered together and they they got all fired up and they did things that, you know, were counterproductive and violent. Um, but they weren't incited to action by the president of the United States. Correct. And that's a huge difference. It's a yeah. huge difference.
1: Yeah, and somehow we have to hold that motherfucker accountable. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I I, yeah. I don't know, man. Like I, I for a while I thought that just letting him get out of office, and and you know trying to see if he'll be prosecuted for other state crimes and things that have been on the radar for a while might be the best way. But now there's, I don't think that we should allow him to finish out. I don't even care if it's just, you know, twelve days. I think this guy needs to be thrown out of office.
0: That's another frustrating thing. I mean, I know that um all these people in his cabinet, the Pence, um, um, the transportation secretary whose name escapes me, she's McConnell's wife. Yeah, uh, Betsy Devon's.
1: Elaine Chow, I think is her name.
0: These people are these people are resigning and they're resigning. Presumably, because they're so upset, but the cabinet is the one avenue we have to pursue the twenty, the invocation of the twenty-fifth amendment, and rather than you know take a stand and and try to make a statement, even if that wouldn't you know do much, it would be a real statement, I think, and I think it would be a much um, more brave and bold and um, and just statement than just resigning.
1: I agree. I agree. But I just, I feel like none of them have the 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 gall, whatever, to be able to stand up to him because, I mean, it just feels like nobody ever does. Nobody holds him accountable. And, you know, uh, Pelosi and the House Democrats met this morning and said that they're going to move forward with impeachment and i think that's the right way to go because pence has said he will not he hasn't said pr- publicly but privately i believe it's been said that he will not pursue the 25th amendment so i feel like yeah i feel and like I the know impeachment he's process is the only way to go yeah absolutely i mean he he, he was, was in thrown danger. under the bus I yeah never, i was never i never thought that i'd be defending
0: people. mike pence you know
1: i know like he's been he's actually been you know uh, acting in accordance with his office this week. Uh, you know, I mean, he's not a great guy. I don't like him either. I don't dislike him as much as I hate the, the other guy, but you know, like, um, at least he has the decency to do his job accordingly when, when it, you know, when it, the, when it has to happen or whatever, I don't know. Like,
0: and this is not some, I mean, I don't want to make light of, of, something that was so serious but i do <laughs> keeping in tone with the podcast want to highlight some of the more just completely outrageous things that happened at this rally there mm-hmm. was the guy dressed up as a viking who um is like that's one of the people he's getting thrown under the bus by his own people people are saying that he's a, a, a an antifa uh, agitator and they're <laughs> like oh he was at a, a rally uh, he was at a BLM rally in Arizona yeah, he was as a counter protester. Yeah, he's like a QAnon Q- guy. Q- Anon.
1: Yeah, a huge QAnon guy for who knows how long, but yeah.
0: Like, I wonder, I wonder if like that could change his mind about QAnon getting thrown under the bus like that.
1: No, I doubt it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, people who dress up like Vikings. I mean, that guy's crazy. It was cold out there. I mean, yeah. I don't know if any of you, uh, who, whoever's listening, if you've ever been on the mall. In DC in January, I have family and we would visit them in Maryland and Virginia in the winter, and we would often go to, you know, the Smithsonian and stuff. It's freaking cold out there. Yeah, man. And um, yeah, so that guy, uh, and and I mean, seeing seeing some of these people and having a couple of days to unpack it, I have gotten a little bit more reassured. You know, I want to take this seriously, but I also kind of feel like you know, the storming of the Capitol was no storming of the Bastille. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think a MAGA revolution uh, is, is coming out of this. I mean, it is scary to see these guys who are armed, but I think they are the vast minority. Um, and, yeah. and, and I think that they're like in on a, in a certain sense, I think that like, this is a big joke to a lot of them. It's a really dangerous joke, but like, Donald Trump as a president, as an idea, as like being the president has always kind of been a joke, hasn't it? It's like, it's like, we're going to elect this guy and he's just going to blow the entire system up. Ha ha. Isn't that funny? Um, and like, it's, you know, it's like, what do they say in Batman? Like, uh, some men just want to watch the world burn. It's, yeah. it's kind of psychotic. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, I think they kind of feel like that but I don't know, like, I don't think on some level that it is a joke to them. Like, I don't know. I've seen a lot of appeals on Twitter, like, please, you know, help me out and things like that. Like, they really feel that he is their leader. Uh, You know, obviously, this is a huge minority that has been given a platform by, you know, by our fucking president. But yeah, like, I don't want to say his name. Um, yeah. He Who Must Not Be Named. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, these people, I, I, it's hard to think that they're not taking this seriously, that it is a huge joke to them with the way they act. I don't know. Sorry.
0: I guess what I'm saying is, like, the, the, they don't have – it doesn't seem to me like they have very much other than we need to blow the system up, which right. I think – I think that, you know, the Republican Party is going to split because of this. And that's what kind of gives me a little bit of hope. Like, I think there are enough Republicans, even if they're not courageous enough to say it publicly, who are like, there isn't enough there with Trumpism. There isn't, there isn't enough substance other than just like, you know, like the flag says, does one of those flags say no more bullshit or fuck the bullshit or something like that's. That's not a cogent political philosophy, and I think that is um, where it's going to ultimately die and be snuffed out. Um, I mean,
1: I hope so. I mean, I need some fledgling bit of hope to come out of this awfulness. And if it means that, you know, this is what kills Trumpism, uh, I mean, it sucks because of what happened, but I guess I'm all right with that. But yeah, like, I I don't know, we need somehow to make sure that this, uh, this brand of, I don't know, ideology, if you want to call it that, uh, needs to go away. You know, we need uh, stupidity to get out of politics, and it needs to be treated the way it's supposed to be with reverence, with respect, and instead of playing it like a game, you know? We need to actually yeah. try to get things done for people who are hurting in this country.
0: Yeah, the, the past the past couple of days I've really been kind of thinking back on the entire presidency. And, you know, I touched upon what I thought, you know, the, the meme president thing. Um I I also just was looking back at how all this started, and I think a lot of people were just like, Yeah, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and- <laughs> I mean, seriously.
0: There's uh, what's the worst that can happen? I like him. He's, you know, he's got my back, you know, he may have, he may be rude, but whatever, you know, he's, he's our guy. And, um, you just got to hope that a substantial number of those people and it's frustrating it, that it took this. I mean, it's been like, it's been one thing after another and i think he he loses people along the way right like he loses people at the access hollywood tape but clearly not enough like he loses people when the stuff leaks about what he said about veterans when he was visiting the the graveyard in france um and and he loses people now and um yeah and and then this might be my me as a bleeding heart liberal, but I do in a, in a a way reading everything about Mary Trump's book, feel a little bit bad for this guy. I mean, he was raised by a psychopath. Clearly. Yeah. Fred Trump, just like the worst kind of person who, you know, pitted his own sons against each other and, um, just really instilled this incredibly toxic philosophy, uh, into, into um, young, young DJ,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and just gotta hope that we can we can be better, and we don't do that to our kids too. Like you know, I mean, nobody should nobody you know nobody should be raised like that.
1: I mean, I feel like he's probably raised his children like that. You know, the way right. that they all right try to please daddy. Um, you know, and it, it just. I don't know, you know, his, his narcissism obviously comes from his father and, you know, his, I don't know if it's nihilism, but you know, like just this fact that he can just kind of turn on anybody for the sake of himself. um, I'm sure that that's been passed along and I, I just hope that people will see it for what it is, which is a brand of true craziness. Uh, that cannot be repeated because it clearly has just woken up so many people who have either taken advantage of it or just used it to try to do things that are just wrong.
0: Yes. Um, We're in a moment where we need to remember the lessons of history and learn this lesson of history, and um, hopefully enough of us uh, do the right thing in the future. Um, fucking For Ted the- Cruz! Ted Cruz still objected to the the results. I know, um, and his
1: stupid speech was. Ugh.
0: Did he give his speech before or after it all was happened?
1: before it was before yeah. I don't know about anything after because I don't really want to hear what any of them have to say after all this happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know that he must've, I was waiting uh, all Wednesday night for him to speak. I didn't realize that he had spoken before. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, a more um, somber tone for, um, this week's podcast, but <laughs> you know, uh, Wednesdays, uh, like this don't, don't happen, um, very often. Um, and speaking of learning from the lessons of history coming up on the podcast today, we talk with SF weekly contributing writer Hannah Holzer about her latest cover story back to the future, which looks at how San Francisco forged its way through the great influenza of 1918 and what that pandemic can tell us about what the future holds for us as we work to climb out of the COVID-19 era. Stay tuned. with hannah holzer former intern and now a contributing writer with sf weekly hannah joins us to talk about her cover story in this week's issue back to the future lessons from san francisco's last great pandemic offer a glimpse of what's to come welcome back to the podcast hannah
2: hi nick thank you so much for having me it's great to be here
0: all right um As the headline of your story suggests, the piece uh, toggles back and forth between the great influenza of 1918 and the COVID-19 pandemic of today, and it highlights uh, similarities and differences in the way San Francisco handled each public health crisis, and your story begins with two very similar events separated by 100 years. Uh, Can you set the scene for us?
2: Yeah, I can. So in 1918, there was a blacksmith by the name of James Weiser, who was out in the streets of San Francisco during, I believe it was the first of two um, citywide mask ordinances that San Francisco imposed. And he was very much anti-mask, yelling about how the mask ordinance was bunk. And um, a health official ordered him to put a mask on and took him into a local store. And he became angry and hit the health official with a sack of silver coins. Um, And then similarly... (laughs) It's a good one. Uh, Similarly, just this past Thanksgiving, um, a San Francisco smoke shop owner by the name of Joshua Colby Council was arrested after he refused to wear a mask on a a uh, an, an airplane uh, on an airplane um so it was just sort of incredible to see how similar those arrests were um but the fact that they were separated by a hundred years um, i guess just shows how similarly history does repeat itself
0: mm-hmm. so so that's definitely one similarity between then and now the the local government mandated masks mm-hmm. um, and people didn't like that um, wh- what are some of the other similarities that stood out to you?
2: Yeah, so in addition to um, those two sort of anti-maskers, there were other anti-maskers um, that were seeing both Uh, then and now. So in fact, San Francisco was the only city that had an organized anti-mask league. And although that was short-lived, they did hold an event at the Dreamland Ice Rink downtown, and I believe 1919 or 1920, that drew at least a few thousand people. So that was during the second wave that hit San Francisco in, in during the Great Influenza. So by that point, just like we're seeing now, people were growing tiresome of mask mandates and had some pandemic fatigue. So it is similar to, to what we're seeing now in terms of that anti-mask uh, rhetoric and um, the fact that people are going into stores and out in public without masks. Um, and additionally, another similarity that we've seen then and now um, are these waves of the the disease. So during the Great Influenza, there were at least three different waves, and those were because people both weren't complying with the health regulations and so were spreading the influenza, and also just because of the natural ebbs and flows of diseases, and similar to now, where we're sort of entering into, I guess, a second wave, although I'm not sure the surge really ever stopped enough to, um, to slow the end of the first surge. Um, there has been a few different ebbs and flows with COVID, as well as with people not taking health restrictions as seriously, and that's resulting in more surges now, especially after Christmas.
0: So there were also some some differences. One of them that jumped out at me was the vaccine effort. Uh, we saw some of the same things we're seeing now. Uh, there were multiple vaccines rolled out and people placed a lot of hope in these vaccines. However, uh, these were vaccines developed before science really had a grasp on what what a virus really was. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about can you talk about the vaccines of 1918?
2: Yeah, so you are right on the mark there. Um, th- the great influenza at the time when it occurred, scientists did not have a great understanding of viruses and how to create vaccines that would treat viruses. Um, and that meant that the public didn't have a great understanding of viruses either. They had some very general knowledge just in, in terms of germs spreading. So they did know that they should cover their mouths and their sneezes things like that, but they didn't really understand um, how viruses spread. And so at that time, there were several vaccines that were developed, including the Leary Park vaccine, which seems to be um, sort of the most prominent vaccine that was developed and distributed. um, I believe around... A few hundred thousand cases of that vaccine came to San Francisco from Boston um, in the hopes of treating the influenza and ending the pandemic. And then there was also the Rosenau vaccine, which was given to members of the military during that time. And there were a few different claims about what these vaccines could do. Some, Some scientists were claiming that these vaccines would completely cure anyone of the influenza and protect them against it, whereas other scientists were saying, Oh, it will only cure pneumonia, or it will only help mitigate the worst cases of influenza. So there was really, it was really unclear how effective these vaccines would be. And in fact, now, now that we know so much more about viruses and vaccines, we know that the Leary Park and Rosenau vaccines and other vaccines that were developed during that time were not effective, although they might have been a little bit effective at preventing pneumonia. Pneumonia, which occurred in some, uh, people who, um, contracted influenza where pneumonia was sort of a secondary disease that occurred afterwards.
0: Right, right. Th- there were some other differences, um, that jumped out at me. Um, today the COVID-19, uh, pandemic spread around the world, I suppose, because we're such a global society. Back then, um, it seems to me that the influenza may not have been so widespread if it weren't for World War One, And and what's more, uh, things might have been different if it weren't for the fact that one of the largest United States Army training facilities was located in Kansas. Um, you can see what I'm driving at here. Can Can you mm-hmm. tell us about uh, what role World War I and um, Kansas in particular may have played in um, The Great Influenza?
2: Yeah, so um, just as you said, um, according to some history professors I spoke with for this piece, um, the way they framed the great influenza and sort of the um, the panic and the spread during this time is that the influenza and World War One go hand in hand. You really can't take them out of context. They um, directly uh, attribute and um, they it was sort of one was the cause and effect of the other where um, because of World War I and a gathering of um, members of the military in Haskell County, Kansas, um, that, is, that was where we saw the first case first recorded case of the h1n1 strain of the virus that um was responsible for the great influenza and then from there because those military individuals were shipped out to go to europe that is where we can see the spread of the virus so in fact the um the route that the military members took in terms of their travel overseas is the exact same route that the virus took overseas from Kansas to Europe and then sort of around the world. Um, I will say in terms of differences that I expected there to be a lot more differences between our current pandemic and the pandemic of the 1918, 19s, and 20s. But in fact, when I talked to San Francisco historian Nicole Meldahl. Um, she thought that question over and basically her thought was that she couldn't come up with any notable differences where history repeated itself. The similarities between then and now so greatly outweigh the differences.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, that leads me to my final question. Um, we, we talk about the, the possibility of the flu originating in Kansas, not in Spain. So the the 1918 pandemic is often called the Great Influenza. However, it is also known by another name um, that the scientific community de-emphasizes now, the Spanish flu is, is what, it, what it's been called. And in the same way that Donald Trump has used racially charged language like the Kung flu and the Chinese virus to describe the novel coronavirus and the disease it causes, the terminology Spanish flu was also very politically motivated and, and racially charged um, and it gives us an idea of what the sort of long tail of, of COVID-19 might be, even after we have an effective vaccine, some of this damage, like the racial tension and the inequality that's been really underscored by the pandemic, um, those things might continue to fester and, and won't, might not heal so easily.
2: Yes, I completely agree. And like you were saying with the Spanish flu, um, the idea that the flu was brought to the U.S. or spread from Spain is incorrect. Um, But there were at the time in newspapers... um, editorial cartoons and um, rhetoric that was very anti-Spaniard and anti-Spain and blamed them for the flu and that pandemic, much like how we're seeing um, Wuhan and China being blamed for COVID. Um, And one of the history professors I spoke with said that that sort of Uh, xenophobic, anti-immigrant rhetoric that came out of the idea that Spain was responsible for the flu, um, really was responsible for sort of rallying the troops in a way that um, was jingoist and very nationalistic in a problematic way that may have helped us get through that time, but had a lot of ramifications in the end, where that sort of same anti-immigrant, racist rhetoric continued long after the flu went away. Um, and I, I would say that um, our concerns that the same xenophobic racist rhetoric and mindset um, could still linger long after the COVID pandemic is over.
0: In much the same way that uh, a lot of that uh, lingered after the after 9-11, mm-hmm. um, a lot of uh, misunderstandings of culture uh, stemmed from from that conflict as well. Well, um, I want to thank you for joining us today, Hannah. Um, You can read Hannah's story, Back to the Future, in this week's edition of SF Weekly. It's the cover story. And um, thanks a lot for joining us, Hannah.
2: Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced by me, Nick Baronin Our editor is Mike Huguenot. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast through Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. Follow us on SoundCloud and check out our website, sfweekly.com. See you next week.